This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Helen Lewis, and I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's called The New Gurus. And it's about how everywhere you look on the internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets some thousands, even millions of devoted followers. These online prophets are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to The New Gurus wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com The crew on this launch of my strange boat is an angler who is a genuine enigma. He's a massive Bon Jovi fan. In fact, the two have rarely been spotted simultaneously. An in-court legal advisor who took early retirement to pursue his sport and even take up a new one. He's a man who, back in the day, fished the great waters for special carp, but now concentrates on fish and fisheries close to his home. And when I tell you that that home is near York, then you'll understand the enigmatic properties of Julian Cundiff. Welcome aboard, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I wish I was Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wishes he was Julian Cundiff. Well, <laughs> well I could swap fortunes, maybe. <laughs> um, it, it is a bit of a daft question, but, but which came first for you? Is it music or carp? Um, to be honest, it was music just by a year. Um, I, I remember in 1975, a school trip down to London, um, and we went to, um, well, I was about to say HMV, but it clearly wasn't. It was probably something prior to HMV. And we bought a couple of albums. And my dad taught me to, took me to see Queen in concert. Oh, which yeah. Is, uh, unbelievable, that, you know, when Queen were a rock band. Uh, and not long after that, in 76, um, I was having a pushbike ride, saw an old man. And that old man probably was younger than I am now, um, sat near a, a pond. Uh, pulling uh, what was Tench out and it was literally love at first sight just like you hear a band you know you've heard Bohemian Rhapsody and you were in love with Queen I saw this old man pulling what was Tench out and I fell in love with fishing it, it was love at first sight amazing did you start as a, I mean, t- today a lot of people start as carp anglers, don't they? But, but in, yes. back, back in the day it was different. Did you actually start as a carp angler or did you it work your way out the literal gudgeon and little perch? It was, um, uh, I saw Eric, Eric Hodson, who actually was a very famous man for his era. Um, yeah. He put towards the, um, the British Carp Study Group, the Pike Group and things like that. I saw him catching tent, but these things were huge. They were five, six pounds. And oh. I started fishing for, Perch, first fish ever was a perch. Um, mm. And I had no desire to fish for 
big fish. It was, you know, I, I fish for roach um, and things like that to start with. And then you catch a bigger roach and then you fluke a tench. And, you know, th there was there was no particular affinity towards carp because although Eric was involved with the carp scene, he had no massive love and called them steam pigs. And, and tench <laughs> were his, I know, yeah, tench were his first love. Uh, and, you know, you are, you know, who you associate with. And I absolutely adored Tench. And if somebody said, you know, you've got one more day to go fishing, what would it be? It wouldn't be carp fishing. It would be, you know, a still water in June with a drift beater fishing for Tench, you know. And I love carp, but Tench fishing is Tench fishing, and carp fishing is something different. Yeah, that, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, and Tench fishing has got those ethereal dawn qualities, whereas Ooh. carp fishing... I, I've never... I'm not a night angler, but... I, by nature, it's something I want to see the float go under. Uh, but yeah. tench fishing is—it always seems to me best the hour that, that sort of half an hour before the sun actually comes up, and the next hour. Certain places it's very good in the middle of the day, but people are doing it wrong, in my opinion, because I've yeah. got lots of good tench in the middle of the day. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's a completely different game, and night fishing for tench. Is not usually great, and that suits me down to the ground. But I would, I never, I would never fish much for tench. I never caught many tench in the middle of the night. I caught a lot no. of bream. I caught a lot <laughs> of eels. I even had pike on the worms. But tench, as you say, I caught them up to maybe ten o'clock. Yep. But the majority of tench came from sort of four while nine o'clock in the morning, and that, that that suited me. Yeah, I'm sure it did because I mean your work. I mentioned you you were a legal advisor for a long, long time. How did you actually fit in that kind of work with fishing when, when you were fishing the big fish waters? And let's, let's not beat about the bush, they're mostly in the south, aren't they? There's some big fish in Yorkshire and the north now. But, but back in those days, uh, a, a 20 pounder in Yorkshire would probably make the national press. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, 20 pounders down here by them were two bob for as many as you could carry. I mean, most of my, well, I soon realised I'm one of these people who has a multitude of interests. Um, and I'm not one of these people who's obsessional on one thing and gives it up. So literally, the things I loved in 1976, 78, 80, I still love now. And I loved, you know, <laughs> hey, I loved girls. I loved motorbikes. Um, I loved music. And I realized that, you know, if I went fishing every weekend, um, I was missing out on gigs. I was certainly getting dumped by girls. <laughs> You know, by the way, I go fishing Friday, come home Sunday, but I might fit you in on Wednesday afternoon. That was, you know, <laughs> that's a sure way, surefire way to single them. And I realised that, you know, if I was going to be able to enjoy all things in life, that um, they feed, that the carp were feeding at um, between 10 o'clock at night and 5 o'clock in the morning at weekends. Was there any reason why they wouldn't be feeding Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night? And I, I literally started fishing overnighters after work. or Well, it was after school in those days. Then it was after college. Then it was after work. And, you know, for probably, I would say, maybe 12 or... From 1986 to 1998, I was one of few people who, who you know, did the after work overnighters. And I had a huge, huge edge. So that's how I fitted my cart fishing in. I was literally come home from work get the gear out of the house, go fishing, get home, get up at five in the morning, having fished all night, go home, have a bath, wash my hair, go to work. If I'd caught the previous night and they were on for it, I'd fish two or three nights in a row. But I soon learned that just repetitive nights after repetitive nights, it's, you know, you're just repeating the same failure. So it taught me to uh, be a wise angler rather than just putting in the hours. You mentioned washing your hair. It probably takes as long to do that and dry as it does to catch a big carp, I would think, doesn't it? Because you've, got, you, you've certainly got what's known as a mane. Yeah, well, that's, I've inherited that from my dad, I hope. <laughs> He's still got his hair. So um, there are many things you want to inherit from your father, but a good head of hair um, is right up there, uh, even more better than inheritance, although probably <laughs> could buy you a wig. <laughs> I'm, 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 luckily I'm blessed with a similar type of, of, of follically blessed father as, as, as you are but your, your, your father I've, I've seen photos of him recently on your social media and he's a remarkably well looking man yeah he's, he's 88 and I always say to people that the best things that I am in a person are all the products of my mum and dad my mum and dad were very 
giving, enjoyed things, always felt there was you need to give back and all the good things, you know, you know, my dad took me to concerts, he took me fishing, he would drop me off fishing, he'd pick me up, he would take me on paper, when it was rain, I used to pray for rain and paper rounds, because if it was raining, my mother would make him drive me in the car to do the paper rounds. Bloody so, O'Reilly. No, yeah, yeah, that, that's the one thing about being a mummy's boy, daddy did what mummy said. <laughs> you, you were spoiled, mate, I was I kicked out at 6.45 in the morning, go and get your papers, go on, mm-hmm. and I had, I had a very, very me. big hill on my route as well. Oh yeah, well, it, it, taught, it, it taught me a work ethic, my dad was always, I will give you £20, but I want that back, you know, £5 a week, if you want to go to some gigs, I'll take you, but you buy it, I'll buy the tickets, but, and he taught me that work ethic of, you know, giving you know, repaying, earning, and the work ethic. So, mm. my dad is, I am my dad, hopefully. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, and that's never a bad thing to be. When, when you were, going, going back to the fish in the south, though, because I know you fished quite a few waters down here, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and caught big fish from them, too. How, 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 did, you, how did you manage that? Um, I would take um, Fridays off work, or I would take Mondays off work. I would use my holidays to do that. And the thing was that down there, you know, you were fishing exactly the same tactics, but you were fishing for fish that were twice as big. You know, mm-hmm. that there that, that may be less of them, um, but, you know, it's not rocket science. And I, I, I watched a lot of, there are probably 5 or 10, 5% of anglers who really stand out and you watch them and wherever they are, they catch a lot of big fish. But a lot of these anglers were catching big fish just on the num- that you know eventually their number would go up and if you you know if you're a good angler in Yorkshire you're going to be a good angler in the southern areas and you are going to catch a lot more big fish a lot more big fish I don't think there's any no, I don't think anyone would dispute that there are time bandits and there are anglers that catch fish and and they, the two coincide sometimes but uh, I, I'd, I'd rather be a good angler and have to wait one out. Well, as a match angler, I've, I've never been able to wait one out. Sometimes I've fished a match for one bite and managed to get it when it's been the wrong kind of day. But, but carp fishing is an entirely different um, concept to that. So now, in the t- you, I, I meant, you mentioned Eric Hodgson, and, and, and he yeah. was, as you say, um, he was quite involved with the carp study group. Are, are you a carp society man? Have you fished farriers and horseshoe? Um, I I haven't fished uh, farriers, but I have fished horseshoe. I was a carp society man, uh, well, I still am, uh, from the mid-80s, sort of 85, and I've been a BCSG man um, since my since it was accepted in 94, I think. So, you know, I've, I'm proud to be a member of both organisations, but um, I, I soon realised that a carp is a carp, and whether it's... I don't judge a Yorkshire 30 any better than a, a, a Kent 50. Um, to me, a carp is a carp. And when people start, that, that's worth more than that. I've I never believed that. I, I believe it's, it's not the weight, it's what you get out of it. The only person that judges the, my fish are me and, and nobody else. I, I've noticed that because you very rarely publish weights of your fish and I assume you don't weigh all of them. And, and, I mean, I most days you've got something... Um, on social media, you've either been fishing, you're about to go fishing, and, and every single day, you, you, you show a picture of a lovely fish, you know, it might be a mirror, it might be a common, it might be sometimes two fish in, in, in special circumstances, but absolutely minimum of kit on the bank, nothing complicated, no massive amounts of metal work or anything, just pretty simple angling, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, Andy Little taught me that. It, 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 you know, Andy Little was, was a, he could have been a great matchman. He was such an energetic angler. And he said, you don't need to overcomplicate it. You need to find the fish. You need to find them when they are feeding. And you need to make sure you are there. And everything else, you know, the, the, you know, the rigs, the better sharp hook, being there when they're feeding, will catch them. And I, I don't need to weigh them. Do I really need to know it's 1915 or £20 one? You know, yeah. to me, it's the, it's the journey, Keith. It's the, yeah. not the destination. So once I trip that fish up and it goes in the net, I look at it in the eye and I think, you know, I caught you out this time. You usually get away with it. You know, we, we like to think we get some what we don't. We, I catch a lot of carp. But when that fish goes in the net, that's, that's, I've achieved it. It's, you know, I've succeeded. It's a bit like Strava, where people say, oh, I did my ride in 42.7 minutes rather than 42.9. And, I, I, you know, I, that doesn't bother me. It's 
did I enjoy it? So that's something new to you as well. As far as I'm aware, it's new to you. You're cycling. You've you really got into that big time, haven't you? You had got into it big time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, today, you know, I, I cycled 25 miles today, um, probably averaged about 17 miles an hour. I stopped, I had a coffee, I spoke to some wonderful people and I enjoyed it. I could go faster if I got some clip-ons and a, you know, a £6,000 bike. Would it make my cycling any, any more enjoyable? Nah, not at all. No, it, it, I'm lucky that I know what makes my boxes tick. And it's not what other people think, it's, it's what makes my boxes tick, not what I think would make other people think my boxes ticked. You're, you're quite good at telling people that as well. I remember the conversations that we've had at the big one and, and outside of, 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 let's call yeah. it professional, <laughs> outside of professional conversations. You're, you're, you're very much your own man and, and you're not afraid of telling anybody that. Oh, no, no. Um, you know, I have, you know, I, I grew up and like anybody else, I had my idols. I wanted to be Kevin Maddox. So I had the green jumper. I had the carbons. I had the Cardinal 55s. Uh, I tried to grow a moustache, but I just couldn't. I've got the hair, but I could not grow the KM moustache. And I realised that there was only ever going to be one Kevin Maddox. There was only ever going to be one Rod Hutchinson. There was only ever going to be one Andy Little. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't want to be somebody else. I actually want to be me. I don't want to live in somebody else's shadow. Nor, I don't know the real Kevin Maddox. I don't know the real Andy Little. So why do I want to copy them? So I've always been my own man. And I, I try to get people, yes, to be inspired or, by me. But I always say, you know, I inspired you. But at the end of the day, you're the one that sat in the bank. You're the one that cast out. You're the one that reeled it in. You know, I'm just leading you to be the best angler or best person you can be. You've mentioned Andy a couple of times there, mm -hmm. and, and he's on my list, and hopefully mm -hmm. I will be able to get him aboard this strange boat of ours and, and, and <laughs> have a long chat with him because, you know, I, I admire Andy Little in many, many, many ways. I remember going back to the 80s when Godalming Angling Society used to That's have right. their 24-hour charity match on Broadway to Godalming. Yeah, and, and Andy set out to win it. Oh, yeah. And he was boiling boilies on the bank. Yep. He had someone helping him, so he always had two rods in the water. Yep. <laughs> he was pouring hot bait, still hot out the cooker, into yep. the lake. Yep. And I, I came fourth, I think, that year. I mean, I, I didn't fish at night. I fished with one rod, which was a match rod. I fished with a centre pin, and I fished with a little waggler, and I fished with pellets, maggots. Well, no, I didn't have pellets. It was before pellets. Yeah, I fished with maggots, pellets. casters, and tears. I caught a lot yeah. of them. And fish out of broad water on tears. Yeah. And I came, the, the previous year I'd come third with 136 pounds, having gone home when it got dark, and come <laughs> back in the morning via the little chef. So it had to be after seven because the little chef, or the little thief as we used to call it, yeah, opened for breakfast. So I'd start fishing at about 8 a.m. and it, it finished at, I think it finished at 3 p.m. And I had 136 pounds, which nowadays you can catch in the last hour on some matches. Yeah. But those days it was a lot of fish on match gear. And, and the next year, I thought, I'm going to have a proper go this year. And I came fourth with £137. Andy Little had more than £1,000 yeah, of cover. I remember that. Yeah. More than, it must have been 83, maybe. He had more than, a, maybe in the year or two before that, I know I was using a 12-foot Sunbridge rod. It, it, it may have been, it may have been the year or two before that. It was an unbelievable catch. I didn't go anymore. <laughs> as, as, as a, well, no, I didn't. As a match angler, mate, I, I go, I go to compete, and I couldn't <laughs> compete with that. And, and I was at the time, I was resentful because yeah. I thought, "Here's this bloke. He's got someone helping him. He's making his bait on the bank. He's got four rods with two in the water at all times. I mean, what's this all about? I can't compete with that. I'm a match angler." And then. I realised that the event wasn't for me, and, and, and whilst yeah. I'd enjoyed it for two years, and I, I continue to enjoy that kind of fishing, pleasure fishing for those kind of fish, although you can't find it very much these days. It was, it was no good me going there just to pleasure fish, because I wanted to raise money for the charity, yes, as you do. But, but then my next, in, I, I, I'd encountered Andy a lot over the years, but I, I caught a couple of barbs. Well, I live about 300 yards from the semi-tidal Thames, and I'd caught a couple of barbel down, and I'm not one that I, I don't shout shout about my fish, but obviously with the column in angling times, the odd yep. instance flips in, and I had an 11-pounder down. It's a big fish for the tidal back when I caught it, about 12 years ago now. 
So Andy phoned me, he said, I'd like a go for them, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come down. And I'd also had a £1.12 ounce silver bream that yeah. at the time I caught it, equaled the pending record. So I didn't claim it because there was already one pending and, yeah. and besides it, and all it, it was a silver bream and it weighed a pound and three quarters. So Andy said, um, do you mind taking me? I said, of course I don't mind. I'm, I, I, I don't fish other people's swims myself. It's not yeah. something I do. I don't. I'm not a sloppy seconds person, but I'm quite happy, you, you probably know, to show people anything I do that they want to know. I'm quite happy to jump. So we went down and we fished my barbel swim, and it, it was only through the daytime, and it was as hard as nails. And Andy had a chub knocking on five pound. Yeah. I've never caught a chub bigger than two pound out of so many times. <laughs> now, he yeah. caught it fishing for barbel, but it's not Andy. That he, is he, Andy Little. He is he is a phenomenon. He really is. Yes, he he um he, he is so competitive. I mean, I went down there thinking, uh, you know, in the mid eighties, I'm this Yorkshire boy made good, and I go down there and I thought, yeah, I'll just show you what I'm like. And we went fishing, and uh, you know, he he had twenty and I had seven, and I'm, I I was then I was either going to be resentful and say, well, he would have more because it's his venue, or I'll watch what he's doing. And he did everything I did, but he did it better. So his cast, he could cast further than me. He could cast more accurate than me. If I used an 8, he used a 10. If I used dental floss, he cut the dental floss in half. If I used a pump-up, he squeezed it and used a wafter. If he saw the fish roll, he would wind in and not take his eyes off the water. He would feel the hook point and he would drop that bait on that fish before the ripples had ended. Whereas I would think, should I... He he did everything better, and he taught me. He was the man who taught me to be a better angler. You re, it's either right, and I won't say the word, but it rhymes with right. It's either right or it's wrong. There's no yeah. the best anglers are the people who a, sh a hook cannot be too sharp, a knot cannot be good enough. A cast is either right or it's wrong. And Andy is in a league apart. Still is. Still catches so many. I'm still in touch with Andy. And he's such a good angler. Well, I see his post on, on, on Facebook yeah. now, and he, he'll get, I've, I've been lucky today, I've had three 15-pound barbels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he fishes a little bit of Hampshire Haven, and he yeah. goes, oh, it was all right this morning, I had a couple of chub, one seven and one six twelve, but I watched two barbel over my feed, and I, I think, hang on a minute, this is different league stuff now yeah. you're talking, and, and, and I, I've got to get him on here, because he's such, he, he's, he's modest, yeah, in a, for me, a, a, an unusual way, and and it, he's almost, he almost shrugs this kind of stuff off. He is really, really, he's still driven and competitive, but not competitive in a force. He's competitive with himself, and yeah. he's competitive with himself, which is the best way to be. I couldn't tell you how many carp Terry Hearn, Dave Lane, Tim Paisley have caught because I'm not. Competing with them, and I can tell you how many good days I've had, and how many times I've fished like a, you know, not so good. I'm not, I, I never ever compete against other people. Andy taught me to compete against myself. Doesn't matter what. Mm. Well, I'm catching jewels, he said, and I thought, yeah, you are doing everything better than me, and there's nothing you're doing I can't do. But he, you know, he 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 made it look easy. Yeah. <laughs> there's no he, secret. He just made it look easy, Keith, like a good bastard. He's on my list, mate. Now, now for, for a long time, I've seen you writing about, especially about Nash bait, but what yeah. sort of consultancies and sponsorships have you got? Whoa, well, well, it's funny, Mark, my, my early years, um, uh, the, first, the first support I ever got was from, um, it would be Nutribates in 1986 uh, via my friendship with Tim Paisley, and I'm always a loyal person. And I had that loyalty with Nutribates from 86 to 2010 when they, in effect, they started to change the ownership. And I, I didn't feel I had to be. And Nash had said to me for years, you know, come and join Nash Bay. I said, no, Kevin, you know, I, I'm with Nutribates, irrespective. And he respected that. My, my support now is simply from, um, I'm, you know, I'm a consultant for Nash. They call me a brand ambassador. So, you know, what's a consultant field test? I'm a brand ambassador. Uh, you know, I've been there since 1989, so it's a brand ambassador for 31 years. You know, Kevin sends me a contract. I couldn't tell you what he says in it, but I tell you, I'd probably do twice what he asked me to do. He said, just promote the brand as best you can. And, you know, 
I'm supported by Nash bait and everything. I use other people's gear. Of course, I use a bit of Corda. I use a bit, a bit of Enterprise. Nobody only uses one person's tackle unless they actually have to physically work for the brand, physically mm -hmm. work for the brand. But yeah, I'm, I'm a Nash consultant, but, you know, what I tell you I'm using, you come on the bank and you'll see I'm using precisely that. It's never been a job, never been a job, Keith. It's always been nice, but it's never been a job. That's that's and that's the way to be, you know. You, yeah. you can't. I was taught when I first left school, you can't do enough for a good governor. And oh. and whilst people have contracts and will go to the word and letter yeah. of that contract, it isn't necessarily um, what they want you to do. It, it's it, it's more that you've got to like the products you're using yeah. if you're paid to fish with those products. It's never the same, and I know people that have been in commercials for advertisements for, for items of the brand tackle that the, for the company they work for, and don't actually fish with that tackle out of the, outside the adverts. It's becoming less and less now because yeah. more, more tackle is becoming good quality. But yeah, that has happened. But you mentioned Nutribate, said and, and 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 Big Bill. But yeah, yeah, Bill Cotton. Yeah, we, we go back to the to the mid '80s, and uh, you know when him and Richard Skidmore were running the firm, you know it was um, it was they supported me with bait, uh, and I I've been offered two, three, four times what they were giving me, and you know I'm lucky I didn't need the money. I worked for a job, so you know I was loyal, and I always say to myself, you know, if I didn't have the money, I was in danger of having the house repossessed. It might be a different world, but I've always put loyalty first. Um, as Kevin said, you know, and Kevin, Kevin and me go back a long, long time, and he, you know, respects me and I respect him. He was loyal to me, uh, and I, I just couldn't do it. I, could, I couldn't go elsewhere. If he sacks me, then that's different, but I'm never going to say, sorry, Kevin, they've offered me twice as much. I'm going, because it would undo all the good I've ever done. You just, yeah. you know, you lose, you can't buy a reputation. It makes the previous years a fib, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the one thing you are judged on. Your mum and dad said, you know, the only person that judges you is when you wake up in the morning, you know who you are as a person. You know, you can con other people, but when you look in that mirror, I've got myself to answer to. And when a kid writes to me and asks me for advice on bait, I'm not going to tell him something I'm not using because if that poor kid spends 12 quid or 10 quid or whatever and he's not catching, it's because I've you know, thrown him a, some some wrong advice. And I don't want that, Keith. I, I, I'd rather I... I don't have any secrets. I, I've probably cost myself a lot of fish over the years. I have no secrets in carp fishing at all, other than work ethic. Yeah, and, and I, I like to think I'm quite similar to that in match yeah. fishing. Obviously, if I'm told something in confidence by someone whose method or bait yeah. or style of presentation it is, I would never tell a soul. But if it's something that I've thought of and something that I think it's a good idea, and I think most importantly, and I'm sure, I know you do it because you feel the same, it will make someone else's day better when they go fishing. Absolutely. And it might sound extremely patronising I mean, patronising when I say this. I want that to be the case. I want people to enjoy their fishing as much as I have for getting on for 70 years in my case I mean 65 years since I started fishing 66 years I, I want people to enjoy their sport for as long as I have as much as I have because it has been a sensational ride yeah I mean the, an album of big fish pictures of carp is lovely Keith but when somebody writes to you rings you sees you at a conference shakes your hand and says you know you've really helped me and I was this that and other it's the greatest thing ever. I'm, you know, and I'm sure rock stars feel the same. You know, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, yeah, I bought four of your albums, that's great. But if somebody says, you inspired me to start my own band, etc., you know, to inspire, to pass the torch, um, you either get it or you don't. I don't need to catch any more carp. I genuinely don't, other than I enjoy it. But to see people benefiting from my advice... You know, I don't need to catch any more, Keith, or catch bigger ones, or I just love to sit, get those messages, thank you, or whatever. You know, that that's what I get out of carp fishing. It's, you know, I, I've judged on my reputation. I don't judge Andy Little on what he's caught. I judge Andy Little on the help he gave me, you know, yeah. and what you've done. I don't, I wouldn't have a clue, Keith, how many matches you've won, what your personal best is, but I know that Keith Arthur, Des Taylor... Ivan Marks, people like that, contributed 
took fishing, match fishing, course fishing, and gave back. I don't judge you on how many matches you've won. I judge you as your person and how you are at shows, how you are with the general public. You can catch the biggest carp in the world, but it does not stop you being an odious individual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you know the people we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever fished any carp matches, Jules? As, as we, we I, just have. Matches? Have you? I, I have. I fished the British Carp Angling Championships on behalf of Angling Publications. Oh, it would be a um, 2012, maybe, somewhere around there. And I fished with Pippa, who was obviously Tim's daughter. And we yeah. qualified for the final. We came fourth. But I did not have the drive in me to win the matches. And I saw people, and I'm no disrespect to them, literally foaming at the mouth when they got a bad draw. Literally, it, it, it was life or death. And to me, it wasn't life or death at all. I, I, I didn't have that, that gene in me with cart matches. And, uh, you know, you watch the Tom Makers and Billy Lund, those, and they are incredible because they're driven to do that. It's not my thing, and I can't make myself do it. But, I, you know, I take my hat off them. Some of these match anglers are not only good match anglers, they're great carp anglers, but it doesn't take my box at all. Yeah. You, you, a couple you mentioned there, and I can think of Mark Bartlett's another what? one. And, and, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that noise. He's, he's a bit special, isn't he? Yeah, yeah Bartlett, Kev Hewitt, yeah. you know, Tommy Maker, people like that. They, they, they fish in a different in league um, the way they fish. And I always say, if you are always wanting to be the best and compete against people, you will be eternally disappointed because there are people who will catch more than you. You will never be the top. It's impossible to judge. You know, for every Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher, you know, there's other people as well. And I always think if you compete against yourself, you'll be eternally happy. But if you have to be the best, you know, you are going to be disappointed more than you are happy. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's, there's very few places at the top of the ladder. But what is the top of the ladder in fishing? What is yeah, If you catch the record carp, you're not going to check for a million pounds. If you, nope. you know, are the most successful carp angler in the country, you're not getting on ITV, you know. They're not doing Eamon, Eamon Holmes isn't doing This Is Your Life. You're not getting stopped in the local supermarket, mate. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've always thought that of all the popular sports, yeah. darts is the one that it's easy to be, well, it's easy, right. yes, it's not easy, easier to be perfect at because the board doesn't move, the numbers right. don't move, there's no one standing in your way, yep. you always throw from the same place and yep. you choose your weapons. Now, one day, one day there is going to be a dart player that only throws nine darters. Yeah. He's going to come along and he's going to win because he only throws nine darts. It's never going to happen in snooker no. because somebody puts the balls in the wrong place for you and, and, and you, you can't win. So, yeah, the balls can be, you know, split up the wrong way. But I agree. Never thought of it like that. But it is true. You will one day find a person who is able to hit nine darts all the time. Never ever going to be the perfect angler. You know, when when you look at the the, the exploits of, of Terry Hearn, yeah, and who I think is just a genius angler. Forget about being just a carp angler. I, I was fishing with him last year, and he was he was trying to catch a two pound plus grayling, and he put everything into the day. And I watched him fish a float down the down the river test that was hacking through with extra water in, and he put it through as good as any match angler. And he chose a swim, and he said, this looks a good grading swim. And I walked down to him, Nigel, by the way, and Nigel said, Terry's in a good grading swim. Nobody would put him in it. No. He recognised it looked like a good grading swim. And, and, and I, I, I think Terry's a great angler. And you know how many times, when, was it Babyface he caught in Norfolk before, he put, his, before he put his sticks in? Yeah. But he, he spent a long time catching the Burfield Common, which is a different story. But he just, he, he's got sort of this, this magic touch about him. The, the roach is caught down the Thames at the end of my road. The perch is caught down the Thames at the end of my road. Unbelievable, man. He, he's focused. He, he's single-minded, um, uh, but he has got that extra percentage. You can be single-minded and be very, very, very successful, but I think they say MotoGP, there are the aliens, there's the, there's the Rossies, 
uh, people like that. There, there are, there's the elite of the elite. And Terry not only is very good for the time he puts in, but he's got that extra something as well. And just more importantly, I couldn't tell you how many fish Terry's had. He's the same guy now as he was 20 years ago when I first knew him. When he came to my house and we did interviews, he is still the same nice guy. And I judge him on that, not just on the fish he's caught. But he, um, he's, he's a special, he's, a, he's one of the few special carp anglers that are younger than me that I can look up to. And this is no disrespect to any carp angler. It's very difficult to have younger uh, people you, I don't sure if the words look up to, but you, you think yes, because generally you look on people who came before you. But Terry is one of the very few that I look at and go, yeah, you being the people that would be in my idols book. Yeah. I, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but uh, so I can tell you this without making him blush or without making myself blush, really. Uh, when I used to run my radio show, oh, yeah. uh, I got a call one morning and it came up, Terry the Tench. Yeah, that's right, Terry the Tench. And I thought, hello, Terry the Tench. That's a, and, and I didn't know that was his, his moniker. And this would be, yeah, name. yeah, that's right. This, this would be getting on for 20 years ago. And um, I, I saw, oh, Terry, you all right? Hello, mate, it's Tell. Yeah. And, and I recognise his voice straight away because we've met several times yeah. and I've spoken to him quite a few times and, and, and he worked with me and on a couple of occasions with Peter Drennan and things. And, and, and I said, hello, mate. He said, yeah, wondered how you were going. I'm just on my way to so-and-so, so-and-so. Thought I'd ring in and so I'm enjoying the show. And, you know, my chest stuck out six inch mm -hmm. further on the way home. Yeah, yeah. It's a, Terry was actually a fan. He's yeah. a lovely, lovely man, you know. Yeah, he is. Um, he, but he, yeah, he is. He's what I call in the zone. The more yeah. you concentrate on, he has other things he's interested in. But the the fishing is his passion. And when you cut out outside distractions, you start to become better and better. There are very few people who have outside distractions. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton. It's lucky that he can. You know, he's got his music. He's got his fashion. But he is also probably the best driver with Verstappen. But people like Michael Schumacher had to literally isolate themselves. And Terry's one of those people who isolates himself from everything else. And he just operates at a certain level. Yeah. He's got pictures yeah. in his freezer yeah. as well. He's a, he's a proper countryman now, isn't he? Oh, of course, yeah. And he's in touch with what he does. And more importantly, he enjoys it. He is mm. not trying to be the next Kevin Maddox the next Kevin Nash, the next Nigel Sharp, or anything like that. Terry is simply Terry. He, yeah. he, 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 he does not want any fame, fortune, etc. Um, he, he, he does what he does because he enjoys it. So that makes him even more special that he doesn't, he doesn't do it for cash. He doesn't do it for nothing. But he, if somebody said to me, there's no more cash in it, Terry would still go fishing, I'd still go fishing. You still go fishing. How many other people would who make names for themselves? I think a few of them wouldn't find it the draw it used to be. No, no, you're probably right. Um, now back to Julian Cundiff. Mm -hmm. do, do, do you still fish long? Do you fish long sessions anymore? I know you've never really been a session man. And um, what would be a long session for you these days? Twenty-four hours would be the long session for me. Twenty-four mm -hmm. hours. I, I literally, and retirement has given this. This is what Andy Little taught me. He said. The trick is, people say location is everything. He says, that's 50% right. Location, when they're feeding in that location, is far more important. And years of fishing have taught me, I've probably got 15, 20 venues that I fish within an hour, hour and a half of me. And I know that on a certain day, with a certain wind, with certain temperatures, at a certain time of year, certain waters are better for getting me a bite. And sometimes I'll turn up a water and know I'm not going to get a bite that day because I'm not in the area where those fish are. And that's called getting in tune with your fishing. So to me, yeah. I've, I've got a limited amount of seconds, days, hours in my life. And I, I, I want to catch as many as I can in as least time as possible. So I what I call flip-flop between waters. And generally, I... I I would say 90% of the time I catch a carp when I go fishing. I've probably had 300 since lockdown from 10 waters. Crikey. Uh, it's, not, it's not by being a brilliant angler. It's by picking the right waters at the right time and being retired. 
being someone that's pretty good at it helps, though. <laughs> Don't get away from that. How, how, what, what do you base your predictions on? I, I used to, to talk to a bloke who, who predicted everything, virtually, by m moon phases. Yeah, yeah. That, that, um, I, I would, he told me that over 80% of British records were came at entirely predictable times yeah. on moon phases. Like the Abu Garcia catalogues. Good times. Yes, do you remember that? I do. I still have those. I mean, mine is less moon phases, but it's it's all about what some people class as sixth sense. I call experience sense because yeah. I, I've done it so often. I know that on certain days, most of the time, the fish will be in that swim and will be feeding at that time. I know that certain waters, because they're shallow, when it gets to September, October, those fish are going to feed in the dark because the water is so crystal clear. They've been caught so many times in the day that they change their feeding habits. And so I base my my calculations on, uh, I think, experience more than anything else. You know, and experience on a water that you've even never fished before. You know that an easterly wind in April, they're not going to be in it. They're going to be in the back of it in the sun. So what people call sixth sense is really experience. And you, you know, Nash can't sell it. Corder can't sell it. It's something that you um, get from many years of fishing. And it's a bit of a throwback, really, I suppose, because uh, our, our Neanderthal man wouldn't have gone out every day of the year with his spear and club mm -hmm. looking to, to catch whatever creatures he was looking to catch. He would know when was the right time to catch those because he had other things to do uh, to survive for the rest of it. So, yeah, it, 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 it's something that's handed down, isn't it? Certainly. Something oh, yeah. that's part Beautiful. of human nature. It's watercraft and common sense. I mean, you yeah. know, it, what is it, what is the definition of stupidity is to do the same thing time after time and expect a different result. And I learned <laughs> that during night. And I would do night after night. And the, they were getting caught in the day. And I thought, well... They don't respect the fact I'm putting in four nights because they're feeding at eight o'clock in the morning. So I simply would take a Monday off work. I'd go Sunday evening when everybody had gone home. And inevitably, I'd get a bite between six and nine o'clock in the morning because I was using experience. You know, there was no point doing four nights when you were, they weren't feeding at night. It's, and that's it. You can't buy that experience. I'm just going to mention... Terry again, because yeah. Terry Tench, because um, he was very keen to point out to me that he's got a very important rig that he uses for virtually all his carp fishing. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily think other rigs are important. Once you've got something that works, yeah. nothing's going to stop it working. Uh, are you a rig man? Um, I I'm exactly the same as Terry. I have a rig that I have used since 2008 so we're now talking 12 years the multi-rig and i and i would say to people you can go through my magazines social media from 2008 onwards and you will see they are caught on the multi-rig and i would say in the last 12 years i've probably had five to ten thousand carp i would say 90 percent of the carp i've caught were caught on the multi-rig and the others were caught on the surface, because you love a bit of off the top, don't you? A bit of the surface, and occasionally I'll use a bottom bait when they are grubbing on the bottom, and they just will not take a bait that's presented even a millimetre. But, yeah. you know, and, and I, do, I do say this at Talks, Keith, that there is no wonder bait, wonder rig. If you put the ten most successful carp anglers in a room and asked us to show us our own rigs, our own baits, they would almost certainly be all different. Yet, if yeah. you put the 10 most successful, you know, F1 drivers there and said, right, let's be honest, no sponsors, what car do you want? They'd all go and pick Lewis's car. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, is the, that is the car that will win. But on yeah. bait, rigs and tackle, it's confidence. So when Terry goes fishing, he doesn't think about his rig. He's thinking about location, timing, baiting strategy. Same as me, I don't think about my rig. I know that if I put that where they're feeding, when they're feeding, at the right time, with the right bait on, the less equation you have to worry about, the better. That's why the more you fish, the, the less circles are spinning around in your head. You're just looking to find them when you're there. And the rest is just confusion. 
You've mentioned bait there, and obviously bait quality is very important to you. Uh, have, have you always, and, and I'll mention that you're a boiling man, have you always been a boiling man? Um, I've always been a boiling man March to uh, November. In winter, I'll use it as chrome, I'll use maggots, I'll use sweet corn, um, things like that. But yeah, I, I've always found that because I tend to uh, fish for carp most of the time, I find that boilies are my preferred bait. But if somebody's catching on tigers, I'm not catching on tigers. I will use tiger nuts. You know, yeah. I'm not out to prove that X bait is better than other bait. And if somebody is outscoring me on certain baits, be it hemp, sweet corn, tigers, I will change. But 99% of my fish are caught in boilies because I, you know, that's what I feed. And here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. And boilies make carp fishing quite, when you've baited a water, it, it, they make carp quite daft. Same as surface baits do. You can get carp feeding on the bottom just as daft as you can get them feeding on the surface. It's, it's equally as easy. Once they're past the point of no return, it's easy. You mentioned uh, another great angler, sadly, no longer with us back right at the beginning. You mentioned Rod Hutchinson. Oh. And, and, and one thing intrigued me, uh, that Rod, I mean, Rod intrigued me in lots of ways, not least in his music, but the, the, his, his baiting pyramid oh, yeah. um, from years ago was just the most wonderful concepts. And I thought, I wouldn't mind being a bait manufacturer if someone's going to cover the whole bottom of the lake with boilies, so it's the only bait, that the, the only thing that a carp have to eat, so they're going to eat it. But, but what a theory that was. Yeah, I think him and Mike Wilson, I th whether it was Rob that came up with it and gave it to Mike Wilson, or whether it's Mike Wilson, but it, it certainly is, it, it certainly works. But the thing is nowadays, so many boilies go in oh, that... Yeah. They're almost a staple diet of most carp fishing. And the, and the good thing, of course, Keith, is now that most carp baits are very, very good. And, you know, you're, most people couldn't find a bad bait. I mean, it is possible to find a bait that doesn't work. 80% of baits will work virtually all the time. There are 10% that for some reason tick the pH level or whatever that are just a little bit special on certain waters. And there are 10% that, that just don't twig a water. But 80% of baits that Nash, Nutra baits, mainline, sticky put out, I wouldn't have a problem being sat behind. You know, it, it's made carp fishing a lot easier for it. Mm. You, you're, I, I read, in, again, in your social media, that you're a tinkerer with bait, aren't you? You don't just... Well, yeah open a bag and stick one on your hook and throw the rest in. No. You, you like to play about and prepare bait, don't you? I do. What, one of the little things I noticed is that with boilies, what you're doing is you're boiling the outlaw. The boilies are boiled. That's what they're called, boilies. And they're sealing the outside of the skin. And as the skin softens, the water comes in, the flavours leak out. And I watch people, they would glug, they would make their hook baits very, very attractive. So they would, you know, put them in liquids and etc. And I thought, well, that's very good, but you are relying on your hook beam bait being precisely, precisely where the carp are. Now, what would happen if you actually made your free offlings very, very attractive as well and made your hook bait stand out in a different way? So I started coating my boilies in oils and glugs and powders and I found that I could draw the carp in a lot quicker that way and then present a brighter bait, a bigger bait, um, whatever. So I got the carp feeding quicker rather than relying on just one hook bait. So I'm always tinkering about with what I call glugging and glazing, which is soaking the baits in oils, adding crumb. And as, they, as the baits defrost, the oil's drawn in, the crumb sticks to it. And as you fire them out, it's leaking it out from day one. So, you know, it, it, it works. It works a lot better to me. And mm. I catch a car. I, I know you were distraught. Was it the end of last year or the year yeah. before when, when Nash discontinued the bait that you'd had so yeah, much success on? And it is really, and, and again, that was a matter of principle because, in effect, I was catching all the car, huge amounts of carp on the key. And Kevin said to me, you know, we're going to discontinue the key. And it was made quite apparent to me that if I wanted to have the key made for me, I could. But that's pointless because, in effect, I'd either have to lie and say I'm catching them on Scopet Squid and catch them on the key, which would undo my reputation, or yeah. I would have to 
say I was catching them on the key, and by the way, you can't get it, which is no good either. So I went, you know, so I, you know, I, I, I bit the bullet and went on Scopex Squid. And I have to say, to start with, it was not as effective as the key for me. But in the last three, four months, it's as effective, if not more. And I'll be honest, it's made my carp fishing quite easy. You know, turn up, find the fish, fire a kilo out, kilo and a half out. And, you know, yesterday, four, four carp to just over 20 pound in a couple of hours. You know, and and it's it's just watercraft, finding them, giving them what they want, when they want it, and being confident with them. I remember you talk about Scopex Squid, and I remember talking to, to Gat, well, I was, I was at Nash Factory, oh, yeah. um, talking to Kevin when, when we were both part of Diver. I was, I was a rep, and he was a, what would now be a brand ambassador consultant, and we were making yeah, the old Canyon Carp. Yeah, he was a Carp yeah. team. Carp team and, and um, I was in, in, the, in the, the, the bait department, and Gary Bays walked through with two trays of squid. Yeah. I said, what are you doing with those? He said, we're going to boilies. I said, what? You use real squid? You don't use a flavouring? No, mate. Mm-hmm. He said, flavourings don't work. Cause you've got to use a real thing. Yeah. Some flavourings you've got to use, but in enhancers. But yeah. if you're going to make squid bait, make them out of squid. Why make them out of chemicals? And... and and, and I know that another very famous carp bait maker back in the day, who isn't around anymore, once gave me some strawberry hook baits to try for carp, for match fishing. And, and at Gold Valley, and I, I asked John Raisin if I could use them, because gold are very yeah, yeah. fussy about what goes into their lake. And he said, yeah, because I'm only going to use them on the hook, because I only had like a little yeah. tub. And, and they were strawberry. And, you know, you could smell yeah. strawberries as soon as you opened the box. And one day I thought, I'm going to taste one of these. And it tasted of nothing. Yeah. It smelled of strawberries. But and it, it didn't taste of anything at all. I couldn't say it tasted like bread or cheese yeah. or a worm. Not that I've ever tried a worm. I'm not Alan Yates. Yeah. I, I couldn't say what it tasted of. But it didn't taste of anything at all. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. What do the fish know? And it, but that, that was a different. That, that was back then. So, you know, it, it's a case of working out what, what works for you with bait, but it's got to be good quality to begin with. Well, it's got to be consistent. I mean, the thing with Gary Bays is, of course, Gary Bays learned his trade under Rod Hutchinson. Yes. And, you know, Gary Bays, you wouldn't go to Gary Bays for tips on cleanliness of the hands and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gary's lovely. But if I want to come What do you what laundry products you use, Gary? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't go to Gary Bays, you know, for, for hair handling or hair care. But Gary knows he's like he's like a throwback to Rod Hutchinson. He knows what makes carp tick. Yeah. I, I don't have to know what makes carp tick because I just say to Gary Bays, um, this makes carp tick and he's very honest and he he, he said to me that this you know, once they're on this jewels, he says you will have the same reaction you had to key. And I found it took a bit longer, but nowadays the reaction on all, you know, there's probably four or five waters I consistently fish, and it is the same reaction. It's the same, it's the same thing. And I will be using Scopex squid, I would say, for the next two, three, four, five years until they either discontinue it or something comes along that I have to move on to. You know, yeah. anglers get bored of baits before carp get bored of baits. I can assure you of that. Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you another little quick Gary Bay story. Again, when I was working for Dial, I had to call on uh, Kevin's old shop, Stroke Factory, in, in North Highcombe. Yeah, yeah, uh, like, yeah, yeah, I went there, yeah, I've been there, yeah. Catch him. So I went to, to the bait department. Yeah, went, went to the, um, the bait department out the back, and Gary was showing me through some flavours, and he said, have a smell of this one. God, that's lovely. Oh, that's really powerful. And it was smoky bacon. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, wow, that's unbelievable. So I got back and we, Dive used to give us big Volvos in those days. And I'm driving and I thought, do you know, that's still with me. And, and quite disgusting. I thought, that's stuck to the ears up my nose. You know, I, I can't get rid of it. And, and it was the same when I got home. And I thought, what's this about? And I looked and I had a pair of pale beige chinos on. And there was a tiny, tiny, tiny yeah. pinprick spot. Yeah. And Gary had managed to drop a bit on my chinos. Yeah. And I washed them, and it did not Never come out. I had to throw them away. <laughs> I had to throw them away. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I should have taken them back. Should I carry them? They, you had to take six inches <laughs> off the leg. I didn't find for him. Um, now, all the fish you've caught and all the waters you've fished and your history and everything, 
what, what, have you got any targets or ambitions as regards to car no, fishing? You know, I haven't. I, I'm very lucky that as a kid I had certain things that I, um, you know, I grew up, I wanted to do, meet him, I wanted to see that, I wanted to write that, I wanted to fish there. And I'm one of these people who I don't have any great bucket list to do now. I've ticked all my bucket list. All I want to do is just keep enjoying what I'm doing. Um, and giving back as much as I can. You know, I, I'm the luckiest person in the world, as far as I'm concerned, through parents and through hard work. Um, to me, I have to I pick waters, not on the size of fish, but on the surroundings and the people I fish with. As you get older, Keith, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, your tolerance is, you start to know what you like and what you don't like and what you'll put up with in life. Uh, and I pick a water now on scenery and the people that fish it and the look of the fish. Whether mm. the big fish or, you know, we, we've got to be realistic. You know, a 15-pound carp to most people is a big fish. And it, I consistently catch carp between 15 and 35 pounds. And if I don't catch a bigger carp than 35 pounds from now to my death, I won't have any regrets. I've had them to £50 that impress more people than impress me. <laughs> you know, so no, I don't have any bucket list other than, you know, let's get these conferences, you know, let's hope that COVID goes away and we can have conferences. Because I do miss that. I do miss the look on oh, people. Me too, mate. Me too. The time of the rigs, oh. the sign of the pictures, the look of, you know, thanks to people and sending people. You're sending people. You're giving people your confidence. When they buy the bait or the rig or whatever, it's not just that. They're buying your inspiration, your confidence. And I do miss the shows. I'm one of the few, like you, that I, I love two or three days at these shows. They're tiny, but it's what you, you're sending hundreds of people away happy. So I'll, I'll never forget, I, I once did a film with Sean Wilson, who plays Me? Martin Platt in Coronation yeah. Street. Yeah. And we went barbel fishing on the River team, and we both managed to catch a barbel. He caught one his way, barbel fishing, and I caught one my way on a stick float. And um, I, I said to him, it must drive you mad when you get recognised in the street. He said, I'll tell you something, mate. He said, how lucky are you? Yeah. He said, I walk down the street, and they go, look, there's that Martin out of Coronation Street. He's been bashing Gale again. I really can't stand him. And nobody ever comes up to him and says, hello, Sean, what a nice chap. He said, but you, you walk down the street, and people say, that's that lovely Keith Arthur off tight lines. And, and, and that isn't always necessarily the case. But, but I, I understood what he meant there. When, when, when I'm walking around the supermarket with my wife, or when I'm, I'm just out in the street in Cape Town Airport. And once I, I bumped into, I'm an Arsenal fan, I bumped into Ian Wright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I said, I said, Ian, I said, I hope you don't mind me introducing myself. I said, but you have been a hero of mine, and obviously I'm much older than you. But he said, you're the fishing bloke off Talk Sport. <laughs> he recognised my voice. So. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that kind of that gets you. That really gets you. That, you know, to be recognised, Keith. That, 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 I wouldn't be apologetic if somebody wants an autograph or a picture of me. I am so proud of it. You know, I've met my yeah. heroes or rock stars, and I know that just thirty seconds or two minutes with them, the picture, the selfie, or the signature has made my day. And it doesn't mean we're as important as Paul McCartney or otherwise, but. When that kid has a picture with you and you tie him a rig or whatever, you you do the talk, he goes away just as happy as I go away when I've talked to Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden or, or whatever, you know. And, you know I taught him out. I'm not dropping any names, but I taught him how to fish a stick float, you know. Well, you, you know, his book is, okay. I hope you're going to interview him, his book comes out next week and it's, a, it's a fa I mean, it's a fantastic, and I do get a little, little bit of a, a, a write-up in it, so I'm very proud. But Adrian Smith, again, such a humble man, um, yeah. uh, uh, he loves his fishing. You know, when you talk to him, don't talk to him about Iron Maiden. He's like, I want to talk about, you know, should I be fishing at 70 yards or 80 yards? Yeah. Is it an eight or a six? He doesn't want to talk about Iron Maiden. Probably just like I sometimes don't want to talk about fishing, but want to talk about cycling or music or, or whatever floats our boat. I mean, he's an ideal man to have on the show. Such a wonderful, lovely man. 
he, he lived in Fulham at the time, and um, I was running a little tackle shop right next to Hammersmith Bridge, and he came in, and I didn't know him from Adam. I enjoy listening to rock music, but I'm not, really, not a rock music yeah. fan. I, I don't listen to it, but I've got other genres of music that I like, mm. and, and rock isn't at the very top of the list. I, I'm more of a, a you know, Southern Californian music type. And I'm in the shop, and he came in. He said, I live up the road, mate. He said, I'm interested in, you know, what do you catch down here? I said, oh, we go down, we catch dace and roach and occasionally a bream and rainbow trout, unbelievably, occasionally a brown trout. I know there's barbled. Really? He said, I'd love to do that. I said, well, it's easy. I said, well, you do go down there, bait apron, maggots, waders. He said, right, show me what I need. So I showed him what I need. And he came in, and he said, you know, can, can, you, can you give me a few tips? I said, yeah, of course I can. And I had this... this um, customer big john i used to call him who, who was a local lad and he used to come in and he'd st- you know what tackle shops were like in those days he'd come in yeah. and spend a day in there and spend fourpence but he was a <laughs> lovely man lovely man big john and he always had opinions on the world and he was a, and he was he was a bit of a he had the look of a giant you know some people yeah. have got this, this yeah. giant's persona and he had yeah. that like like andre the giant the rest of him. he had a similar well, sort andre of, the giant. yeah yeah similar, similar sort of physiology to him yeah and yeah. um he came in one day, and, 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 and this chap I didn't even know came in, and, and he was saying, yeah, we'll do that key tomorrow night. I said, yeah, of course. And when he went out, he said, do you mind if I come along? I said, no, you know how to fish a stick, though. He said, don't you know who that is? I said, no, you've got a clue. He said, that's Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. I said, he's in there all the time. Is he? And he, he captured the shop, then I couldn't get rid of him. But no, yeah. no, no, no. I know when I saw last at Sheffield, at the arena, just before the gig, he's like, is there any fishing round here? I'm looking behind Sheffield and thinking, well, there is Adrian, but, I, you know, I wouldn't recommend you getting mugged behind the arena. You know, Adrian wasn't that interested in how many people, how many T-shirts they'd sold. He was, are there any fish in the canals round here? And I thought, well, there are, but I probably wouldn't recognise, you know, actually advise you to go fishing on your own round, you know, the back of Meadow Hall and places like that. But he is, at heart, a fisherman and always will be. You know, he's a rock star, but he's also an angler. Super, super man. And there's lots of people falling in that category. I see rock stars, but different, different stars in the media. I've been very lucky in my career to, to bump into. I will one day on this programme talking to someone else mention the first encounter I had, um, sort of semi-professional encounter with Chris Tarrant. That's something that's worth talking about another time. But now, now, I mentioned earlier that almost every day I get on my news feed something from Julian. He's been here. He's caught this. He's done that. Here's how I did it. You should try this. Here's how I do the key. Here's how I do the bait. Here's how I do Scopex squid and what yeah. I do with it. And like you mentioned on here, the, the glugging and the freezing and the crumbing and everything. If, if you've got, um, if you've got an opportunity to give one tip to a budding carp angler or, or, or someone, for example, who's fallen out of love with the sport. We've seen a lot of people come back to our sport during lockdown yeah. and, and probably even more new anglers come into the sport. Somebody that wants to start carp or take up carp fishing maybe when they've learnt the rudiments or when they were a basic angler years ago and they now think, right, carp are the in thing. I want to be a carp angler. What's the best tip you can give someone? It's quite simple, really. Number one is look for somewhere locally. You don't want to be driving two hours to be disappointed. So look for somewhere locally. Secondly, look for somewhere locally and fish it midweek. Look for somewhere locally, fish it midweek, and fish it at the right time of year. Don't take up carp fishing in January (laughs) at linear fisheries on a Saturday because you're going to be disappointed. So... You need to find the right venue at the right time of year locally. And nowadays there are, unless you live in the Shetland Islands or, you know, the extremes of Dorset, there are dozens of waters around you. Just go to your local tackle shop. Find a water that that has got a lot of carp in it. Go and visit it before you fish it. Don't turn up with all your gear on the first occasion. So that I would say midweek, Go and visit it. Just see how many people are fishing, what they're catching, what they're using, and fish a water where you catch carp between 7 and £12. You know, you don't want to be I'm sure they're great, two, three, four, five pounders but you want to be fishing for double-figure carp, and I would say that make sure that you go where there are plenty of carp. You learn carp fishing by catching carp. 
yeah. and make sure it ticks your boxes. Don't go somewhere you don't like because you won't go there very often. So midweek, locally, where fish have been caught from £10 or not. And I always say to me, people can always contact me on social media. I will tell them what to use and what will catch carp. You know, if you use Scopex squid on a size 8 hook, on, you are going to catch carp. Because the great thing about carp fishing keep is when you cast out that correctly tied rig on that with the right bait, that carp doesn't know whether it's Julian Cundy or Fred Wilson or Keith Arthur on the end. You know, I always say that's the great leveller. If somebody gave me Lewis Hamilton's car, Lewis Hamilton's pit crew, I would be, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes off off his race pace. Same with Valentino Rosso, same as playing for Man City or playing for England. But the great thing about carp fishing is that you can become as good as anybody else very, very quickly. It's the greatest leveller. It's the only leveller in sport I can think of. You're never going to be a great darts player, you know, quickly, unless you have a prodigious talent and carp which is a great leveller just before we go i'm going to put in a bit of a disclaimer about the the, the, the extremes of dorset <laughs> i remember kevin nash spent a very long time well, trying to get a fish called herman yeah. at a place called Warmwell leisure where i went and they, yeah. they told me about this and the lake is the size of a farm pond it is yeah it is yeah it's, it's uh, it was you know I was, <laughs> But that, that is, that, yeah, Bertha, which I think was caught by two women as well. It was one of those fish that eluded Kevin. It was a bit, yeah. like, the, it was a bit like the parrot that eluded Terry for so long. Yes. Um, but Terry will tell you that was the law of percentages. Terry yeah. is successful on, you know, low-stocked venues because it's a one in six chance, one in eight chance, one in 20. Yet at Wazing, it was one in, you know, 150 carp or whatever. Yeah. And it, it becomes, no matter how gifted you are, you, at some stage, do get into the law of, uh, you know, the law of averages. Julian, listen, mate, it, I don't know where the time's gone, but it has gone. It, it's been an absolute joy talking to you, as it always is. And, mm -hmm. and we will do it again, I'm sure. If not before, it will be at the big one next year. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and hopefully several times in between. It will be great to see you again, mate. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being my crew today on The Strange Boat. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you at the big one when it happens. Thanks to Julian Cundiff for joining us aboard this edition of The Strange Boat. Please don't forget to rate, like and follow, or subscribe to the podcast, and join us for our next journey on board The Strange Boat. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.